0: Good morning. Good to see all of you this morning. Good to be here with all of you this morning. So as Mike was mentioning, four weeks from today, we start two services, 9 and 11, on September the 12th. I'm hoping that many of you will choose to come to one service to worship and come to another to serve because we're going to need a lot of people to serve and accommodate and welcome all the new people that God wants to bring into our midst. Another reminder, next Sunday is communion. So come and be prepared to partake of the Lord's table next week. Second Timothy chapter 1 this morning as we continue our series in the book of 2 Timothy that we started last week. We have been learning this year that when we are saved, when we have placed our faith in Christ, that we are made to mature, we are made to minister, and we are also made to multiply. We are made as Christians to imprint, to impress, to make an impression, if you will, to influence other Christians in a positive way and allow them to influence us in a positive way. We are to be involved in a few relationships that are mutually strengthening spiritually, mutually growing, mutually encouraging, mutually refreshing. And there's no better example of that kind of relationship in the Bible than the example of Paul and Timothy, which is why we're going to be in 2 Timothy over these next few weeks. The relationship that Paul and Timothy had was this great relationship between two Christians, and, and they were empowering and enabling and encouraging each other as they pursued God. And I will say this, it doesn't really matter whether you consider yourself to be the Paul in the relationship or the Timothy in the relationship, as I said last week, don't get caught up in that, but here's what we should definitely note, and that is that God wants every Christian to be involved in this type of relationship, every one of us should be involved in a Paul and Timothy type of relationship. Now, it doesn't, again, have to be the same person our whole life. And it can be different people that God brings into our life and God brings us into their life. But we should always be involved in this type of relationship because we are made to multiply. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. You and I cannot make disciples if we're not being a disciple ourselves. So as we talked about last week, the first step in this is to being a disciple or becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. And that simply means being a devoted follower of Jesus Christ one who's growing, one who's maturing, one who's increasing, one who's being faithful to the Lord and to the things of God. And then when you and I set our life on that course, then God will begin to bring other people into our lives or us into other people's lives so that we can be that iron sharpening iron, if you will, so that we can become through them and them through us what we could never be on our own, which is why God calls us into relationships with other believers. Paul, Timothy. One of the things we saw last week is that each of us as Christians has great potential in Christ Jesus. That's one of the things that Paul wanted to remind Timothy of. That's one of the things God wants to remind all of us today. If you're here and you're saved, you have great potential in Christ. And God wants to use that discipleship that you and I go through both being a disciple and making disciples to begin to draw out that potential in each of us. That's what was happening with Paul and Timothy. Timothy was drawing out Paul's potential. Paul was drawing out Timothy's potential. And that, again, is why God calls us to discipleship. You have potential that is still untapped, and God wants to link you up with someone who can begin to draw that out as you draw it out in them. But there's something else. And this is where we're going to focus today. You also have great purpose in Christ Jesus, not just great potential, great purpose. God created you and saved you for a specific purpose. And that purpose will be realized and expressed through you being a disciple and making disciples throughout your Christian life, just as it was with Paul and Timothy. So with that, let's begin in verse 8, where we left off last week, where Paul says to Timothy, so, Timothy, do not be ashamed. It doesn't mean that Timothy was already ashamed. It means Paul did not want Timothy to get to a place where he would be. Ashamed. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, a prisoner for his sake, but by God's power, accept your share of suffering for the gospel. Several things here. Paul is talking about identification. He's saying, Timothy, don't be ashamed of our Lord or of me, your fellow disciple and partner in life and ministry. You see, identification is where it all starts. In fact, that's why when Jesus says to go into all the world and make disciples, the very next thing Jesus says that's part of that, that step of obedience, is baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because public baptism. After salvation is where I as a Christian say to those around, I'm not ashamed that I'm a Christian. And I'm willing to publicly confess my faith in Jesus Christ. By the way, we're going to be having baptism this fall. I hope that many of you will consider being baptized. It is a step of obedience in being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And if you were baptized before you were saved, you should be rebaptized. Because the pattern in the Bible is saved, then baptized, and then added to the church. That's the formula, if you will, in the New Testament. And so Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, I don't want you to get to a place where you're afraid to say, I'm with Jesus or I'm even with Paul, another fellow disciple. And and we know that Timothy could be prone to that because we saw last week why Paul said, Timothy, God has not given us the spirit of fear, verse 7, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We know, based upon that and other things that Paul said to Timothy, that Timothy was naturally introverted that he struggled with being timid and, and, and sort of cowardly, if you will. And, and, and if it was up to Timothy, he'd hang in the back and, and he wouldn't want to like, you know, put himself out there or step out. But Paul says, Timothy, God not only has placed potential in you that we need to draw out of you, but God has placed a purpose in you. And that purpose isn't to hide in the background. That purpose for you, Timothy, is to be able to step out and step up. And not only that, but but Timothy, he wants you to very publicly identify yourself as a follower of Jesus Christ and, and to identify yourself with me and other disciples to be able to say, I'm with them. I'm with them and be okay with it. Now, The reason why Paul's encouraging Timothy with this is because many times when we identify ourselves that publicly with Jesus or with his disciples, there's suffering involved, there's pain involved, there's persecution. And so, to avoid the suffering and the pain and the persecution, we become secret disciples. I mean, we know this exists many of of, uh, the religious leaders in Israel, the Pharisees, people like Nicodemus and and, and even Joseph of Arimathea, initially they were not putting themselves out there because they did not want their fellow religious leaders to give them a hard time. And so they sort of stayed secret for a while, but there came a point where God will just say, look, you, you can't stay secret all your life. If you're going to be a disciple of mine, you've got to be willing to deny yourself and take up your cross, Jesus says, and follow me. Now, here's something also very interesting. Jesus doesn't say that that's what's connected to being a believer. See, you and I can be a Christian. We can be a believer and never have to take up a cross because he directed that to those who would follow after him, those who would be true disciples. See, a person can be a Christian and pretty much never really have to suffer any pain or persecution or whatever for being a Christian because you keep it so to yourself that you're never willing to identify yourself as a Christian to anyone else or the disciples of Christ. But when you're a disciple, like Timothy, you got to put yourself out there, and you got to step up. And when we do that, then that's why Paul says at the end of verse 8, accept your share of suffering for the gospel. Be willing, Timothy, to pay the price that others are paying for identifying themselves with Jesus and with other disciples of Jesus. Identification. That's all part of being a disciple. I've got to be willing to deny myself, take up my cross daily And follow the Lord if I'm a disciple. Don't have to if I'm a believer. I can be a believer and never have to deny myself and take up my cross. But in order to be a disciple, I've got to be willing to do that, you see. Because identification, then, the reality is it will lead to some kind of persecution, pain, and suffering in this world. Now, with all of that said, Paul doesn't just encourage Timothy with that and sort of let it hang. He gives him in the passage we're going to look at this morning, a motivation, a very powerful motivation, and three means, if you will, to be able to stay the course, to be able to be willing to accept whatever comes his way because he's not going to be a secret disciple. He's not going to hide in the shadows. He's going to step out and say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, he's going to, you know, be involved in church. In fact, he's going to become a leader in the church. He's going to use his gifts and abilities and the potential that God placed in him to glorify the Lord. So he's certainly not going to hang back in the shadows. He's going to put himself out there. And any time you and I put ourselves out there in front of others, even other Christians, we're also obviously going to invite criticism, and second-guessing and all that stuff, even from our fellow Christians. And that's, again, why many Christians are reluctant to truly be disciples and to put themselves out there and serve because they're either afraid of failure, they're afraid of what others might think. It might even go back to, notice that word in verse 8, being ashamed, a word that Paul uses much throughout this passage of Scripture, in fact, notice, he says to Timothy in verse 8, so do not be ashamed. But then in verse 12, he says, I'm not ashamed. And then even over in verse 16, he says, "Onesphorus was not ashamed. And why does he talk so much about being ashamed? Because being ashamed is driven by fear. Fear of what others will say, fear of what others will think. You see. And that's why Paul says to Timothy, God has not given us the spirit of fear. Fear doesn't come from God. Shame doesn't come from God, you see. That comes from another place. And so he's saying to Timothy, be willing to accept your share like the rest of us. I'm in prison, Timothy. I'm not asking you to do something that I haven't first been willing to do. I stepped out there and look what happened to me, but I'm not ashamed. I don't have any regrets about putting it all on the line for Jesus Christ, you see. Because that's what disciples do. That's what disciples do. Now, let's first then talk about the One motivation that Paul gives Timothy, not that this is the only motivation for being a disciple and for putting ourselves out there, but this is just one. Other people, including our partners, our fellow disciples, are counting on us to stay the course. They're counting on us to remain strong and to be who God called us to be. Look over in chapter 2. Verse 10, and then we'll go right back to chapter 1. Paul says, so I endure all things. I stay the course. And notice why. For the sake of those chosen by God, that they too may obtain salvation in Christ Jesus and its eternal glory. Paul says, here's the motivation, Timothy, You and I, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we've got to stay the course because other people, maybe that we haven't even met yet or known yet, people that God wants to bring into his kingdom through us, and maybe even fellow Christians to strengthen their faith, he needs us to stay the course because he wants to use us in their life, you see. In fact, Paul gave some examples of those who didn't stay the course. And again, he's doing this because this is what disciples do. We keep encouraging each other to stay the course and not to deviate and not to give up and not to throw in the towel and not to get so discouraged that we just sort of drop out, even though we know the Bible tells us that many believers throughout history will and have, and that in the last days there will be many who do turn away from the faith, but you can't be that one because there's others who are counting on you. So notice what Paul says to Timothy in verse 15 of chapter 1. He says, you know, Timothy, that everyone in the province of Asia deserted me. Whew, that's a powerful statement. You ever had somebody turn their back on you and walk away from you and walk out of your life? I'm sure you have. We all have. Hopefully, we don't do that to others because that's not what disciples do. Even though other Christians won't stay the course, part of why it's so important that we enter into discipleship relationships and that we are a disciple and we're making disciples is because it helps us and strengthens us to stay the course so that we don't end up like all those other believers that Paul knew that said, they deserted me. They weren't there for me. But then notice what he says in verse 16. May the Lord grant mercy to the family of Onesphorus, because he often refreshed me. <laughs> He encouraged me. He comforted me. And he was not embarrassed by the fact that I was a prisoner. But when he arrived in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know very well all the ways he served me or cared for me while I was in Ephesus. That's a disciple. Not only one who stays the course, but one who is refreshing to you. And that's why God wants you to be involved with some other people too, because he wants to use you to be an encouragement and a refreshment and a comfort and a strength to them. That's the fiber, if you will, of discipleship. And he wants us to be involved in those type of relationships so at the end of verse 18, we can serve each other and we can care for each other. Again, that's why God calls us to do this together and not in isolation, you see. So the big motivation for why you and I need to stay the course in being a disciple and making disciples is because other people, including our partners in life and ministry, are counting on us. Let me say this. I know. I feel the weight of responsibility, I know that all of you that come here to the Oasis and call the Oasis your church, I know you're counting on me. I understand that. And listen, that's not a weight that I don't like carrying because God helps me to carry that weight of responsibility, as he will to any of you when you have that weight of others counting on you like you do. We all do. We all have people in our life that are counting on us as we count on them. And that's part of why we've got to stay the course because we understand, too, the pain of those who have deserted us and walked away and not stayed the course, those that we realize we couldn't count on. Listen, I'll turn it around. Guess what? Especially as we come into this new season, I'm counting on you. You may be counting on me. I'm counting on you because we've all got to pitch in and do this together. Otherwise, we as a church will never reach our potential for the Lord Jesus Christ, nor will we ever really find our purpose as a church if I can't count on you just as you're counting on me. That's, that's the fiber of discipleship. And Paul wants Timothy to understand that. Timothy, you've got a church that's counting on you. You need to stay the course. Well, that's good. That's a good motivational thing. But there's also got to be some sort of stuff behind it. The means. How do I do that? And Paul gives Timothy three means of how he can stay the course continuing to be a disciple himself and to make disciples in spite of the fact that he's a natural introvert, that he's timid, that he's sort of on the cowardly side, that he'd rather hang in the background. Paul says, I got three means for you that will overcome all of that, just as it will overcome all of the fear and trepidations in our lives as well. So go back to verse 8 of chapter 1. Paul gives us the first one there in chapter 8. God's power will enable us. Paul says to Timothy, so do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, a prisoner for his sake, but by God's power, accept your share of suffering for the gospel. By the way, this is supernatural power, right? This is God's power. This is power to do miracles. This is miraculous This is power way beyond ourselves. This is a spiritual power that God wants to give you and me. This is a mental power that God wants to give us. The ability to grasp and understand and have insight and all of that. It's also an emotional power that God wants to give us so that we don't, you know, allow our emotions that could drag us down to get the best of us and to stay on top of things emotionally. It's even a physical power that God can give us it covers everything let me give you an example of the physical supernatural miraculous power of god that sometimes we don't think of when we think of god's power remember the story of elijah and ahab and the bible says that ahab hitched up his chariot of horses and took off and the bible says the prophet elijah outran ahab's chariot and horses that's not something that normal human beings can do can i just tell you God gave Elijah a power beyond himself physically, even to be able to outrun a chariot of horses. See, when we talk about God's power, there is no part of your life, there's no aspect of your life that God's power cannot seep into and empower you and I to go way beyond what we could do on our own. In fact, then notice what Paul says in the middle of verse 10. He says, by the way, Jesus has broken the power of death and brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. He says, not only does God give us the means to stay the course because he's given us his power, but he's also broken the power of all other things that are contrary, opposed, or challenging us. So that if you and I, right now even as Christians, are overcome by some other power, gripped by some other power, and Mike sort of talked about that, and Nicole sort of talked about that too, then God is saying to us, you realize I broke that power when you accepted Christ as your Savior. And the only reason that power has a power over you is because you gave in to that power. You allowed that power to overcome you because in me, the power that you have through me is greater than any other power that you'll ever face. You and I have to realize that. He not only gave us his power, he broke down all other powers. He pulled the plug, if you will, on their power in our life so that we don't have to say yes to those powers and and be gripped by those powers. So, first means God's power enables us. Second, God's purpose prepares us. God's purpose prepares us. Notice what Paul says to Timothy in verse 9. And By the way, discipleship relationships, we will not only remind each other that we're counting on each other, we will remind each other about the power of God that can operate into our life. And we will also remind each other about the purpose that God has for each of us. Because Paul says to Timothy, he, verse 9, is the one who saved us and called us with a holy, a distinctive calling, not based on our works, but on his own specific purpose and grace, granted to us in Christ Jesus even before time began. And what Paul is saying is, when God created us and saved us for this specific purpose, a purpose by the way that he designed in us, not just before we were born, but before time began. I know that's one of those poof moments, right? (laughs) Like, I can't even begin to wrap my mind around that. And here's the encouraging thing from that. Whatever God had in mind for us as the purpose for us being here, he then created us with that purpose in mind, He saved us with that purpose in mind. He equipped us with that purpose in mind. He gifted us with that purpose in mind so that we would be totally prepared for whatever purpose God had for us in this life. That's why Paul says in verse 11, for this gospel, I was appointed. The word appointed there in verse 11 literally means made for this purpose. Don't miss that. Paul is saying, God, I finally realized in my Christian life as I became a disciple of Jesus that God made me to be a preacher. He made me to be an apostle. He made me to be a teacher. I was made for this, and therefore I can take heart and be encouraged by that because I know that if God made me for this, then he's prepared me for this. Whatever the pathway is that God has for each of us, be encouraged by the fact that God knew what that pathway was before time even began, much less before we were born. And that when God created us and knit us together in our mother's womb and saved us and gifted us and equipped us, he also did so with that pathway known to him. Unknown to us, but known to him. So that's why every one of us here, whatever pathway you're on right now, you may not have chosen that pathway. But God knew you'd be on that path. And God has prepared you for that. He made you for that. So you and I can't say, no matter where we're dropped throughout our life, God, I don't have what it takes to deal with this situation or circumstance. And I'm looking around the room, and I know some of you, you're dealing with some stuff right now but you've got to understand something. God specifically picked you out even before time began to say, I'll make you for that so that you can handle it, so that you can continue to be my disciple and be a light to other disciples, so that you can even use that experience not only to be a disciple yourself and grow in your discipleship, but to also make disciples yourself. See, God is in the details like no one else or nothing else could be. So the first means God's power enables us. The second means God's purpose prepares us. And the third and final one, God's presence settles us. God's presence settles us. Verse 12, because of this, in fact, I suffer affliction as I do, Paul says to Timothy. Yeah, I'm experiencing pain, but I'm not ashamed. (laughs) I have no regrets. And listen, Paul's writing 2 Timothy at the end of his life, not at the beginning or the middle. It's not like, no, Paul lived pretty much his whole life. This is the last letter Paul will ever write before he dies. And Paul's saying, in spite of all that I've been through for being a disciple and making disciples, I have no regrets. Because that's the way it'll be for the dedicated, devoted Christians. When you get the glory, you'll have no regrets that you laid it all out for Jesus Christ. The Christians who will have regrets are those who held back, those who stayed in the background and never stepped out or stepped up and truly saw what potential and what purpose God had for them in Christ. Because each of us, if you're a Christian, you have great potential in Christ and you have great purpose in Christ. So notice what Paul goes on to say. I'm not ashamed, and here's why. Because I know the one in whom my faith is set. You know what the secret is? I know him. Now, again, let's let's differentiate some things here. Yes, every Christian knows the Lord, or else you wouldn't be a Christian. That's not the kind of knowledge he's talking about here. See, there are many Christians who are saved. They know their sins are forgiven. They know if they die, they'd go to heaven, all that. But they still don't know him enough that they can say what Paul said, I'm not ashamed and my faith is set. I'm resting completely in him. I'm not gripped with fear. I'm not overcome with anxiety and worry. I'm not all stressed out. No. My faith is set because God's presence in my life has totally settled me. And my security and stability and settledness is in him. Do you know him today, my friends? I mean, really know him because that's really where it's all about that's why we do what we do at the oasis because discipleship really at the end of it all is engaging with god and experiencing god that's why i loved what nicole did at the end of worship today you know instead of rushing through to something else let's take time for why we're here we are primarily here to engage and experience with god so that all of us can know him more Because the more we know him, the more we will be settled in him. And there are many Christians today, my friends, that are not settled in him, and therefore we know. They really don't know him. Say, well, pastor, how do you know that? Because there are many Christians today who are fearful, who are always worrying and, and stressed out and filled with anxiety. And all those things would not be predominantly in our lives if we truly knew the one in whom our faith was set. You see. His presence and the reality of his presence in our life makes all the difference in our world. It's how you and I can stay the course and accept our share of suffering like other Christians and be the disciple that God calls us to be, and then be involved in making disciples. Paul says, Timothy, discipleship's all about identification, but identification with the Lord and with fellow disciples could lead to suffering and pain and persecution. And I know many Christians shrink back from that, but God doesn't want that for us. God wants us to step out, step up, and stay the course. How do we do that? By reminding ourselves other people are always counting on us to stay the course. And that God's power will enable us, God's purpose has prepared us, and God's presence will settle us. And all we have to do is just continue to go after knowing the one in whom our faith is set. That was Paul's goal. Remember the book of Philippians? Paul's one goal, he said, more than anything else, is that I may know him. Well, Paul already knew him as a savior, but he didn't know him yet like this. And that's where God wants each of us to get to. Think about the dynamic of a local church. If every Christian that went to that church knew God like Paul knew God at this point in his life. I want to be a part of a church like that. I hope you do too. So let's be willing to step up and step out and stay the course. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me? I'm going to ask our worship team to come. This song is a song that just says, Lord, I'm committing it all to you. It's take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. And God, what an appropriate song to sing after that passage of Scripture. So God, I pray today that everyone in that room, this room, those who are watching at home, God, that they will say, God, I'm willing to step out, step up, and stay the course. It's not my life, it's yours, God. You saved me. You saved me with great potential. You saved me with great purpose. I'm I'm putting it all in for you, God. May that be the desire of all of our hearts today. And may we want to be part of a church where every last person says, yep, that's my goal, to know him in such a way that I'm at complete rest in him. God, you've taught us today. You gave us, us everything we need to stay the course including the motivation of others counting on us to stay the course. God, help us to stay the course till Jesus comes or till we are taken home to be with you. We pray in Jesus' name, Mm. amen.